Well, looking back um, on my, I guess, childhood and I guess even in high school, um, it, I grew up Catholic. Um, my whole family was Catholic. All of my siblings stayed in the church. Um, everybody was really faithful. And I also grew up kind of doing all the motions um, like a typical cradle Catholic would. But I think college, such formative years. Um, so I would say in college is when I most took my faith for granted, which is ironic because I went to a really wonderful Catholic college and I had some really wonderful friends who are, our very friendship was based on faith. And yet I didn't exactly know um, or feel what I thought feel quote unquote was God's love for me specifically. Um, so of course, um, the four years that I was in school, I did my best to try to continue with like a regular prayer type of regiment prayer schedule, trying to really as if like, okay, check it off the list today. I did my, my daily Our Fathers and Hail Marys. I, you know, went to Mass on Sundays, but I was I was trying to do more than just mass on Sundays in my like my desire was there to go deeper. But I think in one sense, I was doing it um, for myself to almost like in which is good, I guess, to put like another flower in like my crown, <laughs> um, if that makes sense. But if you asked me, hey, do you really feel God's love for you, Katie? I would say I guess, but not really. Um, by the time I got um, I guess in my senior year of college, I had realized that I had been so blessed and I kept hearing it was like, you know, really hitting my heart to whom much is given, much is expected. And I was thinking I've been given so much, not in riches or I don't get everything I want, but I'm given everything that I truly need. I have a beautiful family. I have wonderful friends with a richness and true friendship. And I said, okay, Lord, I have to, I need to do something. I'm being called to do something greater. I had no idea what that was. If you would have told me that I was going to live in Haiti for 10 years at that point, I would have thought you were out of your mind. <laughs> um, but doors kept opening. I went on a couple of missions in, in college. Um, by the time I was ready to graduate on my in my senior year, I accepted to move to Haiti to volunteer one year to be um, the caretaker at an orphanage that was just starting, uh, run by a Catholic man who I didn't even know. <laughs> um, but I kind of took the leap of faith and said, you know, this is, this is a really good thing. The Holy Spirit is really working in this mission. I knew, um, several people involved at the time with like the beginnings of, um, the mission and the orphanage and what has now grown to be an elderly home and a clinic and a school. Um, so when I moved to Haiti, um, the earthquake in 2010, it was January 12th of 2010, it hit six days after I moved to Haiti. So I was thrown in baptism by fire to just chaos and really having to be flexible and not complain and look at the sufferings of others rather than my own fears, because I am not a brave person, like not at all. <laughs> so the fact that God had allowed me to get to Haiti before the earthquake was probably because he knew I would be too fearful after. So I did 
um, whatever work I could. I was a history major in college. I was not at all prepared <laughs> for moving to Haiti. I did not speak the language. I didn't know the culture, which takes much longer to get to know a people. Um, you can learn their language pretty quickly, but you have to live with them. You have to live amongst them. You have to sit with your neighbors in on straw chairs in front of their huts and talk with them and find out what their family life is like, what their childhood was like, how the country has changed in order to understand where they're coming from. So you could see that like the hurt in their heart or the sufferings or the, the good things and the joys. Um, so you can suffer with them, but also rejoice with them. So um, fast forward a couple of years through serving in Haiti. One thing that really struck me, which I mentioned earlier, was something about God's love. Um, we have a little old lady at the elderly home. Her name is Philo, um, and the elderly in our elderly home in Haiti, everybody takes care of orphans in one sense, like they're all really sensitive towards children in general. Uh, Y'all have a soft, everybody has a soft spot in their heart for, for kids, but the elderly in Haiti are oftentimes extremely neglected. We find them um, in a hut on their own, um, naked, rolling around in their own feces, being eaten by ants. I mean, we have found people in the worst of conditions because if your family is hungry and starving, they don't necessarily have the money or the resources or the water or the clean water close by to care for their elderly. Um, so these elderly are riddled through these mountains and we kind of stumble upon them or we get word of, um, of someone and we go and check out the situation and we meet the person. Now we met this woman named Philo, who to this day, thank God, she is still doing well. Um, she's healthy and uh, just relaxing at our elderly home and being cared and taken you know, care of physically and mentally and especially spiritually, which is wonderful. But Philo could be, she is a saint. She could be like a doctor of the church. Now this woman, uh, surprisingly, all of the other elderly out of the 16 that we have right now, they're all illiterate except for Philo. Philo did go to school. Um, she knows a little bit of French and she can write, I think, still. Um, but she, you know, she's in her 80s. Now the average life expectancy in Haiti is like 55. So if you can imagine, she's 30 years beyond life expectancy. Um, so uh, she has had a lot of life experience, but not necessarily, I mean, she grew up in a village, like donkeys crossing rivers by foot village. Um, and she would tell us stories about her faith life growing up and what the church was like, because they didn't have many priests. All the priests that were in Haiti at the time were mission priests, missionary priests who would come from France or other countries. And she was explaining to us how they um, really made the faith come alive to her. But she never read the Bible. They couldn't afford one. Um, so here she is, Philo, sitting at our elderly home, telling me things about our father, God, and um, things about like spirituality and religion that she did not learn from a book. She learned from listening and she learned from experiencing God through personal prayer and through relationships with others. And we asked Philo one day, we said, um, uh, do you ever hear God speaking to you? She says, all the time. 
And we said, really? <laughs> that wasn't the answer we were expecting. She goes, he speaks to me all the time. And we said, okay, tell us, what does his voice sound like? Tell us, give like, give us a hint, <laughs> clue us in as to how we can also hear God's voice, please. <laughs> We're begging you. Um, and her answer was, I don't hear it. Um, it doesn't come and like scream at me. She said, God, God doesn't even speak to me in a whisper in my heart. God speaks to me through the love that I experience from others. And that really, I sat with that and I prayed through that and discerned through that. And I said, that is God's visible love. And she, of all people, this woman in a village in Haiti, made that more clear to me and more obvious to me than any book on theology probably could have. You know, when you are feeling loved by your family and your friends, um, when you go to Mass and you sit in front of the Eucharist and you feel that love radiating, that's God's voice. He doesn't have to speak to you like with a symbol like it says in the in the Bible and the strong wind or the whatever fire. And it doesn't even have to be in a whisper necessarily. It could be through others. And so I really took that for the last couple of years um, that I had been in Haiti. Ten total. So this it took me like half of those ten years to figure all this out. And uh, it really changed my perspective. And it sounds so simple because your whole life you hear God is love. God loves you. And you say, what the heck does that even mean? But if somebody would have just said, God loves you through everyone else who loves you. He loves you. And they always, of course, you hear through the sacrifice that he has made. It only took me living in Haiti for so long with no sacraments to realize the love that comes from just sitting in adoration. When you don't have adoration, when you don't have mass, goodness, when you don't have confession, I mean, you feel that deep desire for it in a way, in a, a hunger for that spiritual communion. So more recently, we uh, we got a local chapel, became a parish, so we're able to have mass more frequently and to have the priests come up to the elderly home and give the elderly um, communion. In fact, we've had elderly that have become Catholic just by the witness and example of us taking them from their like awful state of neglect and bringing them and loving them and praying with them. Um, it's very different raising children at the orphanage where there's hope and joy for the future. But at our elderly home, we have had to prepare them to die spiritually. And there's no like rule book or playbook um, for that. So we talk through with them, who do you need to forgive? You know, who you've been given this opportunity now to to from the way that we've found you being eaten by ants to or being eaten by worms to be, to come to this elderly home where you're fed and clothed and cared for bathed but the most important thing we can do for you is how can we help you spiritually should we call a family member would you like to have them come here so you can talk through a problem that was 20 years past but there's anger and unforgiveness in your heart I mean, the, the conversions that have come in in their hearts, in the missionaries' hearts who come and witness this, and in my heart, <laughs> you know, we're never, we're never beyond conversion. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful when you think about you're a beloved daughter of God. You think, okay, God is king. He is ruler. He is leader. What does that make me? A princess, but not in like the cheesy way. It gives me responsibility. 
Um, and there is respect and beauty in that. Um, it, I also have been re reflecting on this uh, more recently, actually, of what it means to have a father who loves us and who would die for us, and yet they give, he gives us the tools and equips us with what um, we need in order to share that with others. Because if we just keep it to ourselves, that's cute and all, but the whole point of us being on this earth is to know, love, and serve him, but also to bring others to him. Um, so I really, you know, when I felt that call in college to, to whom much is given, much is expected. I mean, it flows perfectly into this idea that a father who truly loves his child respects them enough and trusts them enough to continue his work, you know, and, and I am someone who is always praying for gifts of the Holy Spirit to just be poured upon me because heaven knows I need all the grace I can get. Um, and asking, like, that's why the Holy Spirit came, is so that we could be empowered to go do this mission on earth. And it it doesn't necessarily mean, I think people get this idea that, like, we have to go out and go to third world countries and, like, you know, preach the gospel standing on the street corners. And some people are called to do that and more power to them, but I never considered myself someone to be really uh, great with words <laughs> or really open. I'm actually a very introverted person, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but we're all called to be missionaries by our baptism. That is a part of our baptism is a calling to be a missionary. And in my, I mean, in, I just think there's no beautiful, no more beautiful calling than to lead others to Christ, because how are we going to do that through our joy and our excitement and our love? Um, I think the kids at our orphanage, they're learning to be missionaries because they see these mission teams come in. They see me doing this work that God has called us to do by going out and visiting the sick and, you know, visiting the prisoners in Haiti and doing all these these works of mercy, um, works of charity, and we come back and we're joyful about it. We're not doing it like dragging our feet with our heads down. We're super excited to be doing this because it is a gift. It's a privilege to be able to, to share our faith with others. And in a lot of countries, you can't do that. Um, and our kids now are desiring every time we go out on a home visit to someone who's sick and we go, you know, we'll pray a decade of the rosary with them or something. Our kids are begging to come along. They will throw tantrums if <laughs> if I say, no, you have to stay back because some of the other kids are going to go this time type of thing. It it's, It is addictive to share Christ's love with others um, in one sense without sounding strange because it's, I guess it's contagious. It, it is contagious. If you do it in true charity and true joy and humility, um, it people desire to join with you. So being a daughter of God to me simply means finding others to joyfully <laughs> um, share his love in one way or the other. It doesn't have to be in a third world country. It could be uh, walking across campus with somebody that you would have never really talked to before or somebody who's not exactly in your friend group. Um, you know, it could mean going and visiting the prisoners 
going to the elderly homes near you or the nursing homes and sitting and praying with them. I mean, there is loneliness. Mother Teresa like hit the nail on the head when she said the biggest poverty in our country is just loneliness. We might not be like starving, but man, we are starving spiritually. We're starving for relationships. We're starving for true friendship that's based in Christ. That is unconditional love. You know, it's, it's forgiveness. It's this call to forgiveness. How can you not feel loved by God if you have one good thing in your life? I mean, and we have thousands and thousands of beautiful, wonderful things in our lives between the people who love us, between our friends and the people who support us, between and the strangers who pray for us. Um, I mean, me personally, there have been days in Haiti where I have literally had to stop and brace myself against a wall because I have been so overwhelmed by how loved I am. You know, I thought I could go to Haiti and say, all right, God, I'm paying you back for all the good things that you've given me. But he's like showering them on me tenfold. And I'm like, wait, 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 this isn't how it was supposed to work. I was supposed to like even up the score here. What's going on? And yet so many good things. I mean, I'm blessed by the children in Haiti, by the elderly more so than I ever realized that I needed them in my life. And here God is showing me his love through each person. Um, recently I just got married. Um, it, it was interesting to transition from, um, 10 years of being a missionary in Haiti to being a wife. It's so beautiful. Um, it's, it's such a, there's so much holiness to keeping a, a good home, to having your home be a place of hospitality. Uh, hospitality and charity and that's been my prayer thus far is that our home can be welcoming and that we can be charitable to whatever situation or to whichever person might might come to us so I have recently been thankfully um, thrown into this beautiful love called marriage which um, is just an overwhelming vocation um, I'm so thankful. If I hadn't been in Haiti for 10 years, I wouldn't have met my husband. I met him on a mission trip. Uh, he came down with a medical mission team, and we immediately hit it off. And thank God for his boldness, because <laughs> I was everybody for years was like, oh, sure, Katie, you want to get married? Well, then you better get the heck out of Haiti, because <laughs> who are you going to find there? You live in a village. Like, you know, you're literally in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. How are you ever going to find a husband? And I knew in my heart, I said, God would not call me to do this and also give me the desire on my heart to get married without intending to fulfill them. So I just have to be patient and I have to trust. And he came to Haiti and uh, six, no, nine months later we were engaged and nine months after that we were married. Um, and God is still constantly throwing surprises at us. Like we had to cancel our 300 person reception because we got married during uh, COVID-19. So we had the priest and our parents there and the photographer, but it was absolutely and a hundred percent focused on God and the sacrament and each other. It, I mean, we wouldn't change it for the world. If we could go out and tell everyone to just do something small and then party at a different time, it was the best. <laughs> we'll party like, We'll party a few years from now, but um, that day in April that we were able to get married just in front of each other and in front of God was such a special moment. And, you know, it really brings out 
this is a vocation. This is a, like a covenant that you are signing between your husband and God, saying, I choose to be committed to you in sickness and in health, all of that. But, but it really hits you, the, the deep intensity of what's going on in that moment when you get rid of all of the anxiety and fear of, you know, all of your family and friends coming into town and the big reception, making sure everything looks beautiful and we are able to focus on each other. So um, God's love is shown to me every single day through the people around me. And I've never been very attached to stuff. That's what happens when you live in Haiti for 10 years is you don't really own anything but like the clothes that you have. Um, and there's beauty in that, you know, but I'm so thankful that I invest I invest my life in the relationships around me and now thankfully into my husband and my future family. <laughs> well, coming from somebody who doesn't often have the words <laughs> or feel like I don't often have the right words, I, I had never been one to go up to somebody and just start like speaking about God. Like, hey, do you know God loves you? Let me tell you why. Um, I am much more of a preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words type of person. <laughs> And um, each person to his own, each person is different. I totally get that and thank God for it. Um, I think the biggest thing is if you know somebody who doesn't know God's love for them uh, is to be that love, is to be God, it's to be Christ's hands and his feet so that you can go up to the person and um, spend time with them, um, encourage them in other ways, find like... That's the best way to put this. So I'm pretty sure when Jesus brought, I think the somebody back to life, I'm sorry, in one of the gospels, he's like, get them something to eat. Like you got, you have to, you have to, you have to uh, help the person's like humanity in order to touch their hearts spiritually. So you can't disconnect the two. And like these people in Haiti were starving. And we would go to their huts and they didn't know God's love for them. And it was really hard to just, okay, let me open up the Bible and read you a passage from Matthew. But the truth is you had to sit with him and bring the here. Let, let, we brought you some food. We brought you a sack of rice so that you can feed your family along with oil and beans and whatever else. Um, you know, you want to come to church with us later because... Uh, oh, you don't have clothes to come to church? Don't worry, we'll get you some clothes. It's like, you have to get to know the person's needs. You can't necessarily jump right in there and start preaching to them. But once you can get to that point where the person has has um, dropped all of the, you know, torn down the walls around their heart and allows you to really speak to them um, to the depths of their heart, um, that's when you can start making the the Bible and the Gospels come alive for that person, inviting them to to be a part of this beautiful thing called salvation with you, <laughs> um, to invite them to church. Or maybe maybe that's not their thing. Um, maybe Maybe they've had a bad experience with the church. Don't put it past them. They still might want to be prayed with, prayed over have, you know, have the fa their family come around and say, let's pray together. I mean, you have to step out in boldness and in confidence, knowing that Christ is working through you in order for others to feel loved by him. Um, and, and then personally, um, you know, if you're sitting there listening to this and you don't know God's love for you, um, 
I was told to do this actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, uh, in confession, <laughs> it was my penance, was to write a list of everything that you're thankful for. And the priest was giggling. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was a buddy of mine. But he said, um, you'll never stop writing that list. You know, but I want you to sit there prayerfully and make a list of what you're thankful for. And you'll start seeing how much God is so in love with you, who you are as a person. With You don't need to change your personality. You don't need to change anything about who you are. You don't need to change any of your past. You know, God didn't come for the, the healthy. He came for the sick. Um, he didn't come for the the saints in one sense. He came for the sinner. He came for the, for those of us who keep falling into the same sins and we're still embarrassed to go back to confession for it because we've done it a hundred times. And yet every time we come out of confession, we say, yes, Lord, this is going to be the time. And then we fall back into temptation again. And God came for those people. And guess what? Those people, quote unquote, that's me. That's you. Um, there's no limit to God's mercy. And so seek his mercy. As soon as you seek his mercy, um, by whether it's going to confession uh, and really accepting that mercy and forgiveness, um, or if it's just sitting in your room um, and saying, Lord, these are my struggles. This, These are my doubts. Uh, why don't I feel your love? Allow me to feel your love through others. Uh, I guarantee you, God will work because you've asked him.